All right, turn with me over to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We're going to continue our series on our core values today. Um, We have five of them. We've talked about evangelism. We've talked about family. And the last three are the lordship of Christ, discipleship, and leadership development. These are the things through which we take all of our ministries to make sure that we are on point with what God has called us to do. We value these things to be evident in all that we do, and we want them to be the motivation behind what we do. And today, we're going to look at Thomas, one of the disciples who had, a, had an issue with believing. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 28. John 20, 19 through 28. It says, so when it was evening on that day, on the first day of the week, and the doors were shut for where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, verse 21, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. For if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the imprint, of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Verse 28, and Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. Lord, help us as we study. Two things I want you to take away from this message today. One, frustration creates a vacuum. And two, family creates an atmosphere of hope. Background is that Jesus has risen from the dead on this particular day, at least the first half of the passage about which I just spoke. And this happens to be the fourth and fifth appearance. Now, we don't know how many times he appeared and where he appeared for all of his appearance. We have no idea. We just know these are the recorded ones. The first one was to Mary at the tomb, which he went on that morning. And that was Mary of Magdalene, We believe Mary's mother as well. Then um, he appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. Those disciples are unnamed, but he appeared to them. And then it says in that same passage right after he appeared to them, he appeared to Peter by himself. So it's three times. And then he appeared to all the disciples here, at least the disciples that were left. Judas decided to figure out something else to do with his life. And Thomas was not there. So there were 10 along with the women. And he appeared to them and they were shocked because they they had the doors locked 
And something about his corporeal body was able to pass through the molecules of walls and just appear. It was a wow moment. And when they saw him, remember the last time they saw him, he was dead. When they saw him, they were scared. They thought it might have been a ghost or something. They didn't know what it was. This is why Jesus says regularly to them during this first week, peace, be still, chill. They were scared to death when they saw him the first time. And then he says, okay, it it, it is me. Look at my hands and look at my side. And then they went from fear to elation. (laughs) Peace, be still. I appreciate all the emotional engagement, but we got to do some work here. So they were excited. And um, Thomas wasn't at this moment. And when he hears that the disciples have seen the Lord from both the ten that were there and the women, his response is not one of faith. It's not one of expectancy. It's one of disillusionment. It shows his frustration. Indeed, maybe his anger that things didn't work out like he thought they should. Because anybody, anybody who's, who's full of faith when Jesus shows up like this, this is their response. Oh, man, I was at the grocery store. I could have seen him. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. God, come back in a hurry. Please, I want to see you. That's what faith says when you miss a moment. I didn't want to miss that. That's, that's not how Thomas responds. He responds with, y'all crazy. Y'all are crazy. I won't believe a thing you say. I don't care what the women said. I don't care what y'all said. I won't believe it until I can put my finger in the holes in his hands and my hand in the side of his side. I won't believe it. That's not the statement of a healthy man of faith. Something's happened to this guy. And we believe that it was probably a very fertile seedbed in his soul whereby things like this could happen to Thomas maybe a little bit more than the other disciples. Now, the other disciples were unbelieving as well. When the women came back from the tomb and said, we've seen the Lord, they said, no, you didn't. You're just in a moment of delusional grieving and you thought you saw him, but you really didn't. That's Brett's paraphrase, but they didn't believe the women. And Jesus later rebukes them and says, you unbelieving group of folks, I showed myself and you didn't even believe the reports. So Jesus rebukes them later. But they had a moment and they didn't take opportunity, take the opportunity to believe either. And so they couldn't say much about Thomas except that now it wasn't just the women. Now it was all the other 10 with the women who were saying, we've seen him. He's got at least 12 testimonies of people of sound mind who are saying, he's alive. And he's not believing any of them. And they have now three different accounts before this one where where he appears in the upper room. Three different accounts, or two different accounts, with the upper room. And and, and he's not taking in their, their accounts as being legitimate. So we've got something that has happened to this guy Maybe a a, a deeper seed of cynicism that we can identify. And I'm hoping that a lot of you don't identify with Thomas. But I've talked to a bunch of you. And more of you identify with Thomas than you do with anybody else. In John chapter 11, we've got Jesus who who has been approached by 
Lazarus's sisters. Now, Lazarus's sisters are Mary and Martha. And Lazarus and Mary and Martha live together in a town called Bethany, which is a bedroom community of Jerusalem, which is in the region of Judea. Jesus has recently left Judea because the Jews wanted to stone him. They were trying to execute him the last time they were there. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that your friend is sick. Please come and heal him. And you don't, you don't send word to Jesus about a cold. You just recover from that. So this is serious. Jesus says where he is when he receives a message, um, let's just stay a couple of more days. The disciples are saying, he's your friend and that's the way you treat him. They can't figure it out. Why is he so insensitive? You, you sleep at his home, you eat his food, and you're not going to go help him? After two days, Lazarus dies. Word gets back to Jesus, and they say, don't worry, don't come, he's gone now. It's amazing how we can put God in our own boxes of what's hard and what's not and categorize miracles as being those which are really requiring a lot of faith and then those which don't require near as much faith. When a miracle is a miracle, it doesn't, God doesn't have to lift weights to do different miracles that are really hard. He doesn't have to bulk up. Oh, this one, Red Sea. Give me a minute, Moses. There's none of that. It's just him. Red Sea, move. Manna, fall. Water, come out of the rock. Split. You who've been dead, get up. It's just, it's just no, there's no difference. So whether somebody is dying of an illness and needs to be healed or whether they have died and need to be raised, no different for God. But the disciples thought he missed his moment. He could have healed them, and now he's gone. And Jesus is thinking, have you been with me this long and you still don't get it? So he says to the disciples, it's time for us to go to Bethany now because Lazarus is sleeping and we need to wake him. And the disciples say, well, if he's sleeping, ain't he going to get up? He's going to get up, right? Jesus looks at him and says, Lazarus is dead. To which Thomas says to the rest of the staff, doesn't say it necessarily to Jesus, but he says it to the rest of the staff in one of those under-your-breath cynical ways. Well, I guess we need to go die with him, huh? Meaning that the last time Jesus went to Judea, they wanted to, wanted to stone him. And now the disciples realize, wait a minute, we're going to go back to the place where they wanted to kill you because when they wanted to kill you, they wanted to kill us. And the guy's dead? What's the point? So Thomas is trying to, he's not helping the cause any because he is sowing doubt and cynicism and sarcasm to the rest of the staff when Jesus is saying, mount up. When you got a staff member like that, you just don't have them long. Don't have them long. They'll destroy your unity. They'll mess up everything you try. You fire them or you disciple them. One of the two, Thomas had some issues. He had some things down in his soul that were a seedbed for doubt and cynicism and unbelief to just grow. Secondly, he was called Didymus, which means twin in the Greek or Aramaic. And you sit there, 
And you say, well, if they called him this regularly, where is his twin? We don't see him. Any place in the Bible, whether it's a sister or a brother, we don't see the sibling. Any place, not mentioned. And generally, if you're going to call somebody that, there has to be evidence that there's a reason to call him that. But we don't see it. The only thing we do see is that Thomas doesn't act like himself, but he looks like himself many times. So this is one of the guys who went out with the 70. And, 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 and Luke chapter 10 on that short-term mission trip, and, and they began to cast out demons. And they saw the, the lame healed and, and people that were sick well. Amazing. They came back saying, even the demons were subject to us in your name. Here's Thomas doing all these marvelous things of faith and power. And then all of a sudden he has this just lucid moment. Dude, where do you go when it's time for us to mount up in faith? You seem to be so dis- duplicitous that it looks like a different version of you. Didymus, twin. Anybody identify sadly with that label? Meaning sometimes you are in it. When you're in the church, woo! Thank you, Jesus. I love you so much. Worship is just amazing. Pastor Brett, oh, you are on today. I got it. Tuesday comes. Oh, God, I don't know what to do. Please help me. I'm in trouble. I need you desperately. Hello, Didymus. You're one way in this faith environment, and you are somebody else all by yourself. I don't know why he was called that, but there's a reason, and we don't see anybody else who's a sibling ever mentioned about him. So there was something about Thomas that was different that, unfortunately, too many of us can identify with, and that includes me from time to time. I'm better than I used to be. I respond in faith more than I ever have before, but there are moments when I say, God, I didn't expect this, and I know you're real, but I don't see you right now. I'm not going to let bad stuff come out of my mouth, but but I, 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 I need to know that you are with me in the middle of this. Frustration leads to a vacuum because it's birthed out of disappointment. That God didn't show up when you thought he should have. He didn't meet you in your timing. He didn't co-sign your life plan. And now you're, you're discouraged that you're not where you think you should be at this moment. You didn't get what you thought you needed at the intersection of provision. And your life just doesn't seem to be turning out the way you like. Thomas had given up everything to follow Jesus. Been a three-year journey. We don't know whether he had to give up his family inheritance because he no longer was going to help his dad in the family business. That's what most kids did. If they didn't do that, they they, they saddled up with somebody else as an apprentice in order to get their occupational future together. He had to give up all that, and now he was a disciple known as a disciple of Christ, as a disciple of Jesus for the last three years. And as far as he thought in the natural, when Jesus died, so did my dream. I don't know what I'm going to do now. He went to the grave. I saw him die. I saw the women put him in his mummification garments, put the spices on his body. His lifeless body was before me. I saw that. He's gone. And I don't know what I'm going to do now. I have no idea. I gave up everything for him. And now not only am I without him, I mean, just seven days ago, they were laying down palm branches, and I thought, boy, 
my position as Homeland Security guy is set. I'm going to be Secretary of the Interior. This is fabulous. Everybody loves us. And six days later, he was dead. I don't get it. I just don't get it. God, I had ideas. I had plans. I mapped out my life according to what you were doing, and now you're gone. And frustration came from disillusionment, and it became doubt. It just grew into doubt. Thomas had a harvest of doubt in his life to such a degree that he would not believe the people who were most close to him that held the truth, knew the truth, and only wanted to share good things with him. He would not. It's not that he could not. He would not believe. And that doubt also became distance. See, when you let, when you let frustration breed as a result of disillusionment, doubt settles in, not just as to the moment, but God, I don't even know if any of this is real. And then you get distant. You don't show up to church much anymore. You don't read your Bible. You don't pray as much. You don't go to small group. You start... You start creating some space between you and everybody else who's in faith because every day of your life it reminds you of what you're not. And you do not want that. You can't stand the fact that other people are believing and you're not. You don't want to be reminded of your lack and you surely don't want to be reminded of your last disappointing moment. And so we, we miss you for about eight weeks. Have you seen so-and-so? No, I haven't. I want to, saw him back in January, but... I haven't seen them in like six, seven, eight weeks. I wonder where they are. Oh, it's not because you're out of town. You, you got your pajamas on at home. You're just enjoying life. You're just not, you boycotting God. Oh, you, you, you're, you're not saying you don't believe anymore in, the, in, in who he is. You're just boycotting all the things that you thought and believed in regarding your own personal progress. You're saying, he didn't do that for me, therefore I ain't going to show up. And you don't, you don't make the ties so, so clear. I mean, you got a lot of stops on the way where you can justify all of your reasons for not being so close. But you distance yourself from him and from his people. And if that's you today, and you've been gone for the last three months, but you're back. This is your Thomas moment. Welcome. Because he's about to reveal his goodness to you. And my hope is that you have the same response that he did. He did. Not the first, the second. Eight days later. Eight days. Now we don't know what happened in the eight days. We don't have any account. We do know that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to 500 other folks. 500. And so maybe during that eight days, he was hooking up with all the other people he'd seen in Galilee and maybe the Samaritan woman there and, 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 and the woman at the well and, and, and some other folks. I don't know who's, but he was revealing himself. Saints in Jerusalem who, who would make up the 120, he was revealing himself, the 120 of the day of Pentecost. But eight days passed. With Thomas still in unbelief, he missed out on eight days of worship, missed out on eight days of growth, 
missed out on so much of so much communication with God whereby he could have been benefited and, and, and righted. And how many people might he have been able to touch in those eight days, eight days with the information he could have gotten in those eight days? Eight days of lapse. Oh, three months of lapse. Now, the good thing about our God is he's, he's a catch-up artist. Not K-E-T-C-H-U-P. C-A-T-C-H-U-P. He knows how to make up ground in a hurry. And that which you've lost, he can recover. But don't delay because you want to make sure there's not much to recover. Recovery is not easy. It's never easy. Recovery is hard. Recovery means you got to repent. Sometimes you got to go back to people and say, I'm sorry. You got to make restitution. Recovery is never easy. Sure, very sure, but never easy. The longer you stay away, the harder it is, and the deeper you have to humble yourself. Come back in a hurry. Eight days. Jesus appears in the room, and Thomas is there. Well, how, how did Thomas get there? He wasn't there the first time, but now he's there. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know, but I've been around church long enough to know that when people have been missing for a little bit, God has two ways to bring them home. One, he incentivizes them with very difficult circumstances that make it more hard to live out there than in here. What made Noah so happy about living in a zoo for nine months? Nine months he was in that ark. Nine months with animals every day. Why was he so content to live in the ark, the zoo, for nine months? Because it was worse outside. Death, flood outside. Inside dry. Salvation, safety. The church is not perfect. It's got people in it, therefore there's no way it can be. And they all probably at some point, if you get close to them, will hurt you, and you them. No, it's not perfect, but it's better in here than it is outside because the people in here are at least trying every day to get right. So you are not doing yourself any favors by trying to stay away from here because it's worse out there. Get back in the zoo. Get back in the zoo. At least the animals are tame in here. They're wild out there. No restraint, no constraint, no laws, no rules. They will hurt you and do not know how to repent. At least when somebody hurts you here, they'll be called to account and say, you need to get that right. You need, you need to get, no, no, you can't just act like it didn't happen. And you can't wait for them to come back and say they're sorry. You go. But I didn't do anything. Go. But they need to. Go. That's what we tell people. Why? Because, I mean, how, how many times did you hurt God? How many times did you offend him? How many sins have you committed? And did he not chase you down? You're waiting for somebody to come and make, make an apology to you to, to get things right. Well, if you care about the relationship enough, if you are so much a minister of reconciliation as we have all been given the ministry of, 
in 2 Corinthians 5, then it's your responsibility to advance the cause by doing the unusual and going to somebody who has hurt you and saying, I want you to know, I want to get this right. Let's see how we can talk about this. And I'm, I'm open. I, I, if I did something wrong, I'm very sorry. I may not have even known that I hurt you and that caused you to do what you did to me. But I want you to know we need to get this right. I can't live in this kind of tension anymore. We may never be best friends, but at least, at least we won't be enemies. That's what church people do. That's what good church people do. <laughs> what brought Thomas back? Well, maybe the circumstances in those eight days got so untoward out there that he said, well, at least I can trust these guys. God has his ways to incentivize you to come home. Just ask the prodigal son, living in your pigsty, eating the stuff that the, 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 the animals in his dad's house wish they had. The servants ate better than what he was doing now. He has his ways of bringing you home. My hope is that you never have to be submitted to those ways. Or the other is that people just love you enough and they don't want you to be out there. And so they go find you. Which, in an eight-day period, is what I think happened with Thomas. Can't prove it. But I, I know Peter pretty well. I know John pretty well. I know James pretty well. These guys wouldn't let a good friend just fly the coop. Not somebody who had been with them for three years. They wouldn't let them. Get over here. I know you don't want to come. You come. We're gonna, listen, I'm going to have an Uber dog. <laughs> an Uber donkey. Pick you up. And, and, and <laughs> You get here. We need you. But he's dead. No, he's not. Yes, he is. I saw him. He's not dead, I'm telling you. You crazy. He's not dead. Come. I don't know when he's going to come back to show himself, but you need to be here when he does. Come. Okay. I'll come. There he is. When people aren't where they should be, our job is to go find them to encourage them, to reach out to them, to love them, to help them get back. And they may, they may consider us the enemy. They, they, they might look at us and say, I'm not interested in following. Get out of my face, please, with that God stuff. I get it. But our job is to continue to reach out. Don't let them go. They, a sheep never knows how lost they are. They never know. Until the shepherd picks them up and lets them feel the journey all the way back. How did I get out here? Somebody needs to go get somebody. Thomas, come on. And there he is in the room. And then Jesus shows up. First thing he says again, peace be still. Why? Because they are super excited again. Woo, he come back, he come back. Ah! And Thomas is here. Ha! <laughs> it's on now. Peace. Chill. And the first thing he does is look at Thomas. And there's Thomas. Uh, can I borrow your finger, Thomas? Here. Let me have your other hand. Here. You know, Jesus was not in the room when... Thomas said those things. 
I won't believe unless I can put my finger in his side. Finger is, is in his holes in his hands and my hand in his side. He, he wasn't in the room, which means that Jesus heard exactly what Thomas said, though Jesus wasn't in the room bodily. So, like, be careful what you say because he hears every word. And it's, it's really not a pleasant thing when he comes to requote to you your own doubt and unbelief. That's not a good moment. And he did it publicly with all the other people who were in the room that heard Thomas say it. Jesus comes back and says, um, yeah, about that, that finger and hand thing, I heard. Stop doubting. I mean, this wasn't just an encouragement. It was a rebuke. Stop doubting. Be not unbelieving, but believing. And then he says, you, you believe. But we didn't read this part. You believe because you've seen. The people who haven't seen are really blessed when they believe. Meaning you missed a moment. You missed a blessing. You could have you had something. But you lost it. And you won't get it back because now your, your faith is based on what you see. I can build in other ways, but I can't build like that. You blew it. This wasn't just a happy moment for Thomas. It was a moment of correction. And God doesn't mind correcting you because you're wrong. <laughs> he wants to get you right. He doesn't mind correcting Brett. Brett's wrong. And our job is to say, thank you, Lord. May I have another, please? Whatever you want me to do, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry I missed it. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Be believing, not unbelieving. Yes, sir. I'll do that. I'll do that. We don't fight God in these things. The beautiful thing is this. This sermon is about the lordship of Christ. I know many of you are saying, well, when are you going to get to that part? Now. Upon the revelation of who Jesus was. It's interesting how Thomas phrases his next, his, the, the next words that come out of his mouth. When Mary saw Jesus at the tomb, as soon as he had risen from the dead, she cries out, Rabboni! You need teacher. The guys on the road to Emmaus, they didn't even know it was him. Had no clue. They didn't know what to call him because they didn't, they didn't recognize him as being Jesus, being the man who had just died. It wasn't until he began to break bread when they sat down, which might have been two or three hours of walking and then sitting, broke bread, and then he vanished from their eyes. He said, they said, oh, my goodness, that was him. Ah, we didn't know. They didn't have an opportunity because they didn't recognize. Thomas says this, my Lord. And my God. He doesn't just say Lord and God. He says my Lord. And my God. He doesn't say my Savior. Though we need saving desperately and I am so grateful that I'm not going to hell. And that I do not have to suffer for my transgressions and, and pay the consequences for my misdeeds. I am so happy about that. That is not what my God wants to hear when I realize I'm about to be restored. Nothing wrong with proclaiming it, but there are things that should be first to 
say my Savior means that you are doing something for me and I'm grateful. Good. But there's something that needs to be proclaimed before you get there. You are my Lord. I will obey you every day of my life. I am so sorry I was so stupid. I didn't believe it. I should have. I heard what you said before you died, and I took it cynically. And then when the disciples came and told me, I didn't believe them either. I'm the worst. And I want you to know that my response today is that I am not distancing myself from you or these people anymore. You are my God. You are my Lord. And I will obey you every day of my life. That's the way you come home. Ruler, master, owner, controller. He is not your advisor. He's not your divine suggester. He is God Almighty and he must be obeyed. And you should not be looking for the next thing by which he needs to bless you in order to prove your loyalty. Lord, if you'll do this, I'll do this. He's not looking for a request from you. He's looking for your devotion. Lord means master, owner, ruler. It's not just a title he places on his door. It is a function in your life. Is he your Lord? Does he rule over the thoughts of your mind, over the intent of your heart, over the words that come out of your mouth, over the actions, over the deeds of your hands? Does he rule? Not just influence. Not you just sprinkle a little Jesus into your life to make you a little nicer and more religious. Does he rule? Coming back demands that you acknowledge his lordship, not just his ability to save you out of the stuff into which you've gotten yourself. When you do that, his, his salvation, his saving, is a function of his lordship. He does save because he is lord. And the beauty is this. He won't have to save you from near as much stuff if he's your Lord. Now, whether you make him Lord or not of your life has nothing to do with his position. He is it regardless. But is he Lord of your life? Have you allowed him to sit on the throne of your heart? When you do that, you don't have to be saved from the sin of adultery. Huh. Wow. You don't have to recover from that. You don't have to be restored to your family. Your wife won't leave you. Hallelujah. She might want to go for other reasons, but not that one. I mean, you might just be an idiot. I get it. I get it. Most men are. I get it. But the more you acknowledge his lordship in your life, the less idiot you become, the more servant you become the more kind you become, the less volatile you are, the more sensitive you become without denying the testosterone which makes you a man. When he's your Lord, he doesn't have to save you from near as much junk. And you get the privilege of obeying that allows you to enter into blessings untold. God, I'm asking for your help, please. For everybody here, 
so that we can honor you the way we should and respond like, like Thomas, who went way left, but boy, did he come back right. Right?